When you hear the word prohibition, what do you think of? Do you picture the roaring 20s and gangsters like Al Capone? Maybe you think of drug prohibition, gambling, sex work, or age restrictions on tobacco. Maybe you consider the migrants who are forbidden from crossing international borders. Whatever comes to mind, you probably know that various forms of prohibition are embedded into the fabric of our society, and if you're like most people, you don't think it's working. I'm Scott Cecil, the host of Prohibited, a podcast about prohibition. On this show, I explore the impacts of prohibition by interviewing those who are working to dismantle, create, or maintain its various forms. This is Prohibited. Hello, and welcome to Prohibited. In this episode, I'm joined by two guests, John Cartier and State Senator Anna Wishart, both of whom are committee members for the proposed ballot initiative for medical cannabis in the state of Nebraska, which was blocked from appearing on the November ballot by the Nebraska State Supreme Court in a recent ruling. So John and Anna joined me to discuss how we got to this point and what's next for cannabis policy in the state, which has a legislative legacy of leading on this issue of cannabis decriminalization, being one of the first states to do so all the way back in 1976. So let's get to the interview. All right, John Cartier, thank you so much for joining me on Prohibited. Absolutely, Scott. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and really looking forward to our conversation today. I'm looking forward to it as well. And we have another guest, which I'm going to mention in just a moment. But I always tell our audience ahead of time, if I know personally the guests that I have on. So John, you you and I do know one another through Students for Sensible Drug Policy. You were the leader of a law school chapter there, and I was a staff member. So I just wanted to let the audience know that we know each other and have known each other for, I'm not sure, a few years now, maybe four or five years. Yeah, six years. It's starting wow, 2016, that first semester. Time, time. flies. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you started the year that I started. But I asked you to join me on the show today because you and I, as I mentioned, have worked together on some drug policy reform stuff over the years, I guess, as you say, over the last six years. And you recently served on the committee with the Medical Cannabis Ballot Initiative Campaign in Nebraska. And so I reached out to you recently to ask you to join me on the show so that we could update the public about what has happened in Nebraska with that ballot initiative. And you suggested that we also add State Senator Anna Wishart to the show as well. And she's here on the phone. So, Senator, thank you so much for joining us today. You, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, you're the first elected official that I've ever had on the show as a guest. And you're from my home state, so welcome to Prohibited. Well, thank you for for having me. I'm I'm glad that I am the first elected official. I'm, I'm sure there are many more to come. Thank you, Senator, so much for being here. I want to begin with you because... You are a state senator for District 27 in Nebraska. So for the listeners all over the world, where in the state of Nebraska is your district located? And then also, as you just learned, I'm a Nebraska native. I lived there for my first 26 years of life. So I know that Nebraska has a unicameral state legislature. So in addition to describing for us where your district is, can you tell our listeners what a unicameral state legislature is. Yes, absolutely. So I represent District 27, which is in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is the state capital. And we are the second largest city in the state. And we're on the eastern side of Nebraska. And I have been serving in the unicameral for four years. So our unicameral system is basically we have one house. So instead of having a Senate in a House of Representatives, 
We just have one representative body of 49 senators. We like to say in Nebraska, the people of Nebraska are our second body. And uh, it works really well. We're also nonpartisan, which is very unique to the rest of the country. So senators, when we're elected and on the ballot for Nebraskans to vote on, we don't have our party alongside us, alongside our name. So people are really choosing and voting on the person, not the political party. Yeah, thank you so much for the background on that. I am a little biased, of course, because I too am from Nebraska, but I I really believe that the nonpartisan unicameral state legislature, not only is it unique, but I just think it's such a beautiful form of democracy. And so for listeners, I really encourage you to, to check that out and compare it to whatever the local government looks like in your area. But for both of you, let's talk about the aforementioned medical cannabis ballot initiative, because you were both involved with the committee behind that ballot initiative. And you can talk a little bit more about that as we keep going. But I wanted to outline the stakes here for our listeners. So this ballot initiative campaign was to potentially put the approval of medical cannabis on the November general election ballot for voters to be able to decide whether or not Nebraska should join the dozens of other U.S. states that have legal medical cannabis programs. So before we start talking about what happened in early September at the Nebraska State Supreme Court, could you tell us about the campaign from beginning to end? So, John, I'll go to you first. How many signatures did you need to gather? How many did you get? And what was required to make this campaign effort a success in terms of submitting the required number of signatures? Because for listeners, not every state offers a ballot initiative process. Nebraska happens to be one that does, but it has a lot of restrictions such as needing to get signatures from all 96 counties. So just, John, could you paint a picture for our listeners of what was involved in having to get on the ballot in the first place? So this journey, for me anyways, started, like you mentioned, about six years ago when I first arrived at law school at University of Nebraska. There, I connected with one of my greatest friends to this day, Dexter Schrode, and we formed a chapter of Students for Sensible Drug Policies through the UNL College of Law. It was the first one. And from there, we started to participate in the process of lawmaking. We would show up to the unicameral. We would lobby in support of the various bills that were showing up uh, during those years to allow medical cannabis as an option for patients in the state. Every single year we'd show up, we'd meet more people, we'd find, uh, especially this one organization, Nebraska Families for Medical Cannabis, these advocates, these patients, these people were really just providing the life for the campaign that we had today. And as the years went on and the, the rejection from the unicameral kept happening, it became really clear to us uh, about you know, right, right after we got out of law school, like the only way we're going to get this done in any good way anytime soon is through the ballot initiative process, because this is such a widely popular issue. And we had no doubt in our mind that even in, in a state like Nebraska, that it would just, it, it would come to pass if we put it in front of Nebraska voters. And the really the wake up call for us was when Oklahoma did the same thing and they approved it through um, a vote by the people. And we knew that we could do it here. So that, that for, fast forward us a little bit into, it's going to be two years actually this October 
we gathered together with a bunch of advocates around the state, a lot of um, people representing organizations as well as just individuals. We met on a really snowy day in October in, um, in a room in the College of Law, and we just talked. We, we, we laid out a vision for what it might look like if we wanted to seriously pursue getting a ballot initiative in front of Nebraska voters, and it was going to have to be for the 2020 general election. And since that moment, it, it really just kick-started off um, us joining forces with Senator Wishart and Adam Moorfeld, us getting connected with the Marijuana Policy Project, who really helped provide a lot of the expertise and, and uh, technical know-how to get things moving in the beginning. And every month since that, since that point, our, our coalition grew. We got more volunteers. We got more people interested. We got more people donating to the cause. And at the, for the first year and a half, it was basically 100% volunteer drive and just how it works in Nebraska. So to your question, what it was going to take for us to really get something on the ballot was 122,000 validated signatures. And we had to get uh, 10% of registered voters in two-fifths of Nebraska counties. So that's 38 counties. That was what we were dealing with. And there's been no petition in Nebraska that survived on just volunteers alone. So in those, those, those months leading up to the, the COVID pandemic, we were really just trying to find a way to keep people motivated, keep people, um, you know, hopeful and to find people who are going to help fund the next um, paid petition circulators going out, who are going to finish up the work. And somehow like it, we pulled it off and, and I know Sarah Wishart can, can really sympathize with me here, but it, it was it was such a crazy cycle of just hope, optimism, and then just getting rejection, and you know not giving up and keep going after it, um, to the point where we found the correct uh, formula of volunteers. We found the correct formula of paid petitioners, and we were slated to get going the beginning of 2020, and we did. We started, and then all of a sudden, COVID-19 happened. Everything shut down. We we couldn't go collect signatures for pretty much two months and we had to turn everything in by July 3rd. So once uh, things cooled down a little bit in Nebraska, we had one month in June and that's where we collected basically 120,000 signatures alongside our volunteer signatures, which I think were over 25,000. Um, in, in all, in total, I believe we ended up turning 180,000 signatures to the secretary of state well over the amount of signatures that we needed and knew that was going to be enough to validate us and make sure we'd get certified to put on the ballot. And that's kind of a, a brief history of what happened. And in, in summary, it was a really improbable mixture of events and us overcoming obstacle after obstacle after obstacle just to get to the finish line. And we're, we're there, we're about to hit the tape. And as we now know, it, it just, um, it fell apart uh, due to a Supreme Court decision. That is a perfect segue for me to get the senator in here because you did a great job of setting up sort of how we got to where we are. And so, Senator, I'm going to turn to you to to have you sort of update us on the most recent developments and then where you think we're headed. But I want to pinpoint something for the listeners that, that you just said, John, which you mentioned that the medical cannabis ballot initiative in Oklahoma sort of 
became maybe not a sort of insp- source of inspiration, but validation that if Oklahoma could pass this, we can certainly do it in Nebraska as well. And I want to pinpoint for listeners that for context, that ballot initiative in Oklahoma that approved their medical cannabis program happened in what is arguably the most red state in the country, certainly in national elections, during a primary. So you had a very, very conservative electorate in a very, very conservative state that still overwhelmingly approved medical cannabis. And so, Senator, John did a great job of setting us up of how we got to where we are. Can you sort of update our listeners on what the most recent developments are and where you think we're headed? Yes, absolutely. So John did a great job of explaining the journey and the challenges that got us to here. And I did want to note that, you know, this was two years working on this ballot initiative, but um, former Senator Tommy Garrett and myself combined have worked over seven years on bringing legislation to try and attempt to get this passed in the legislature. And at some point we just decided it. You know, it just wasn't going to work and we needed to go the way of the ballot. So we we got the signatures. We got 110 percent of the signatures we needed. We qualified 10 more counties than the 38 we needed. And once you get all the signatures, you submit that to the secretary of state's office. And the secretary of state then will will review everything, the signatures and the language and make a decision as to whether he in this case. Um, would certify us and put us on the ballot. And our opposition did file um, a, John, you'll have to help me with what the wording is. They filed some opposition towards um, our ballot language, um, asking the Secretary of State not to certify us. And the Secretary of State, mind you, who is very conservative um, politically, he reviewed uh, the opposition's arguments, and he reviewed our arguments as to why our language was valid and determined that our language was legally sufficient. And quote, and I like to quote this because I think this is very important that he said this, that the constitutional right for Nebraskans to petition their government through the ballot process and, and by the vote um, is a right that should be zealously protected. And so he decided to certify us and put us on the ballot. So late on Friday evening, after we are celebrating that the Secretary of State has said our language works, our signatures are valid, we are going to be on the ballot for November 3rd for Nebraska to vote on this issue. We hear that there is a lawsuit brought by our opposition and um, we are going to head to the Supreme Court for seven judges to make a decision as to whether they want to overturn the Secretary of State's uh, certification. And so we had our day in court in early September, and um, we could, I could kind of tell the, the questions were tough. Um, the questions were around the area of single subject, and and to be honest, John may be better at explaining that than me. I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm I felt much more comfortable driving out to rural counties and collecting signatures than I did in the courtroom. Um, 
but unfortunately, five judges um, made the opinion that our ballot language was not legally sufficient, and two judges dissented to that opinion, but five is the majority, and so we were kicked off the ballot just last and, Thursday. Yeah, Thank you so much, Senator, for the explanation. And John and I will dig a little bit deeper into the ruling and the dissent before you have to go. But while I still have you, you know, obviously you're a legislator and I know that you're here because you care very deeply about this issue and you're, you've spent years of your life advocating for patients around Nebraska that really could benefit from having access to, to safe medical cannabis. So I know that you're not here to promote yourself. So I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that as I've looked into you and done some Googling in preparation for this interview, it's very clear to me that you've been championing the issue. So I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you personally as a medical cannabis patient in my state, but also you know, on behalf of our audience who I know champions legislators like yourself who are willing to uh, engage in some political risk by by advocating for these issues. And I, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what the obstacles to legislative change has been for you in the unicameral over the last six, seven, or eight years. Um, because I'm sure that you would prefer to be able to simply pass a law rather than have to rely on this ballot initiative. And I wonder, in face of what happened at the Nebraska Supreme Court, do you feel like pursuing legislation is your next step? Is Are we going to do another ballot initiative? Where do you think you've landed on that? And and with recognition that this just happened and you're probably still thinking through all of those things, and I just wonder what your immediate reaction was for what the next step forward is. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, I mean, the last six years working on this issue, so before me was Senator Tommy Garrett, and he was a staunch conservative um, a Republican senator who brought the first medical cannabis bill ever brought in Nebraska. And he got the closest. He got within two votes of overcoming a filibuster in Nebraska. You need 33 out of 49 senators um, in support of a, of a bill in or, order to overcome a filibuster. And you need 30 to overcome a, a governor's veto. So he came the closest we actually lost some of our supporters in their reelection. And so my four years have been pretty bleak. Um, one of the biggest issues we have is our attorney general and our governor are adamantly opposed to this issue and put a lot of pressure, not only on uh, senators, but other organizations that would um, have the courage to work with us like the Nebraska Medical Association and, and other organizations who naturally you would want to work with on these kind of pieces of legislation. So it's been really tough. Um, you know, it's when people ask me why we can't get it through the legislature, I, I really honestly cannot give you an answer as to why senators' hearts and minds have not changed yet to this issue because the evidence is clear that there are medical benefits and there isn't one senator, and frankly, there isn't one Nebraskan anymore that doesn't know somebody who's benefited from it medically. Um, I think now that we have grown from a group of probably less than 20 Nebraska families who have worked on this longer than John and I have, um, We've grown now to over 200,000 very vocal Nebraskans. Um, I feel 
more determined than ever that we have another chance in the legislature. So our first focus is, well, our first focus is ensuring that people know come this election, who are the candidates that are going to support this issue. Um, and then in 2021, I'll be bringing another piece of legislation and we'll try again legislatively. But we are going to file another ballot initiative as well, recognizing it's going to need to be far more simple in language to assure what happened this past Thursday doesn't happen again. But we will file another ballot, ballot initiative and, con and continue collecting. So we're ready in 2022 if we're unsuccessful in the legislature again. Well, I appreciate the fact that your strategy is to, you know, ap apply all of the above tactics, right? Legislative and through civic engagement through a ballot initiative. I want to ask you a question, though, about legislative legacy in Nebraska. So listeners of the show may be surprised to hear that Nebraska was actually one of the first states, and I think the second one, in the United States to decriminalize simple possession of cannabis all the way back in 1976. So do you think, Senator, that that legacy has any impact at all on policy discussions today? I know there are probably not any senators that are still in the body that were there in 1976, but do those discussions about Nebraska actually historically being a leader on cannabis policy reform, and cannabis law reform, does that ever come up in conversation and how, how is that dealt with by the opposition? You know, unfortunately, I wish it, I wish it did. And, and actually, uh, I will bring that up more. You know, one of the frustrations um, with politics these days is it, is it feels more and more like people come to a debate already with their minds made up. And um, that's how it's kind of felt with this issue in terms of a lot of my colleagues is there's just no amount of facts that's going to change their mind on it. Um, I think some of them are changing now that they realize. And, and honestly, I think what, what John and I are seeing in terms of the people's response to this issue, which is overwhelmingly popular. I mean, when I was a freshman senator, this was the first, every senator each session, we get one bill that we get to prioritize. And that allows your bill to jump to the head of jump ahead of all the other bills. And as a freshman senator, I chose to prioritize my medical cannabis bill. And I thought I would get so much pushback. And I took a deep breath and just waited for phone calls and emails to come in of people who were upset about it. And I can tell you in the four years I've been working on this issue, probably less than 10 people have reached out to me upset. And I have been bombarded by people across the political spectrum who support this issue. And John can attest to it, too. I mean, our polling shows over 76% of Nebraskans support this issue. So I think Nebraskans aren't that different than, than we were when we were one of the first to address cannabis um, back in the 70s, you said. Um, I don't think Nebraskans, that mentality has changed that much. And, and we see it in the polling and we see it in the overwhelming support this, for this issue. Great. Senator, I know, you, I know you mentioned that you have another meeting to go to. So I want to give you the chance to exit uh, before we dig a little bit deeper on some of the mechanics of what has happened recently 
with John. But again, I just wanted to thank you for all of the efforts that you're doing. You've been championing this issue since you first got to the unicameral. And so again, I just wanted to thank you for that. And I wanted to allow you to just say anything else you want to leave our listeners with specifically. And we didn't plan this ahead of time. So I'm sorry to spring this on you. Is there anything that listeners can be doing right now to support cannabis policy reform in the state, whether they live there or or not? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And to anybody who's listening and and interested in getting involved, um, we welcome you. Come to our Nebraskans for Medical Marijuana Facebook page. That is where we will update all of our supporters with the most current information and our calls to action. So, Please join our, our Facebook group. It's a really fun place to be. Everybody's super kind. And um, we, we will have a lot of really good calls to action and, again, feel like we have a lot of momentum moving into the legislative session and um, feeling pretty positive that, um, that we will see medical cannabis legalized in Nebraska. Senator Anna Wishart, thank you so much for joining me on Prohibited. And before we come back for segment two with John Cartier, let me take a moment to tell you about this week's advocacy sponsor, whose support makes this show possible. This episode of Prohibited is brought to you by MCBA, the Minority Cannabis Business Association, a nonprofit business league who serves minority cannabis entrepreneurs, workers, patients, and consumers. MCBA's primary mission is to create an equitable cannabis industry through the economic empowerment of communities of color who have been disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. MCBA leads a network of cannabis entrepreneurs and activists who engage directly with policymakers to advocate for fair implementation and enforcement of sensible cannabis policies. Do you think we should prioritize establishing an equitable cannabis industry? Then you can harness the power of MCBA's network to connect cannabis enthusiasts of color to the resources and businesses that can assist them. Support MCBA by joining their growing network of entrepreneurs and activists or become a donor. For more information, contact MCBA today at info at minoritycannabis.org or visit their website at minoritycannabis.org. You can support the Minority Cannabis Industry Association today. Welcome back to Prohibited. I'm still here with John Cartier. Unfortunately, Senator Wishart had to leave us. So, John, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what exactly happened at the Nebraska Supreme Court earlier this month, early September. You got on the ballot. Everything looked like it was ready to go. We looked like there would be a vote during the November general election. And then the Nebraska State Supreme Court stepped in and denied ballot access. Break that down for listeners so they can understand it better. Because as, as I'm sure you've been experiencing as somebody who's personally just so close to this and has been for so long, I have so many people that are connected to me back home, whether they know that I do this work or not, that are contacting me or posting about, wow, I really thought this was going to be on the ballot. I don't understand what happened. What should I be doing? How do I engage? So for those listeners that are back home, that want to understand, that are angry and frustrated about what just occurred. Can you explain to them in in the most basic terms possible how we got to where we are and where we're headed? Absolutely. So to understand what happened, we need to look at the drafting process of the petition language itself. So once the campaign got going, we formed the ballot committee. The most important thing that came next was figuring out, okay, 
what are we going to put forward to voters in order to enshrine a new constitutional right for patients to have access to medicine? And we knew that we had to go a constitutional amendment just because if we did it through the statutory uh, amendment, the legislature could have an opening there to pretty much eviscerate any sort of work we try to do. And it's pretty common, John, correct, for states to do constitutional amendments for medical cannabis. Is that right? Yeah, it's fairly common. Uh, there's also other states that do the other way through statutory, but overall, like in order to overcome a lot of the things that are already placed in statutes in order to prohibit the manufacturing, possession, transfer of marijuana, you really do need to create a constitutional right that can kind of trump some of the laws that are in place right now to prohibit people from getting the medication that they need. So we were going through the drafting process. It took probably about a month and a half and every single syllable, every single word in the petition language itself was looked over by I mean, well, well over five attorneys who were going through this process together, trying to figure out the right language. And once we settled on our first draft, the process then goes, you have to submit that language to an office in the Nebraska state government called the Revisor of Statutes. And they took a look at our language and their job at that point is to suggest make amendments in order to make sure that it's good to go essentially for the ballot and that it's not going to get rejected, right? So we went through that process. The revisers kicked back some suggestions to us. One of the suggestions was a provision largely that existed now as far as the rights for private entities to grow and sell cannabis. And that was something that we included in our language moving down um, through the ballot initiative process. And as we saw in the decision itself, that was a huge hangup for the Supreme Court, the, the right to grow and sell cannabis by private entities. So we had a office of the Nebraska state government approve our language essentially before we started circulating language. That happens for all ballot initiatives in the state. Uh, so that right there to us was a good indication that we were in a clear, all the, the preparation, all the work we had put in before to make sure that we weren't going to get rejected was going to pan out because it has happened before. There was a casino gambling initiative that got thrown out under the single subject rule. So we really had a, a thing to look to and say, okay, we, we want to avoid this. And the whole hang up there was essentially they wanted to place a tax inside the uh, language that would approve the use of gambling in the state. And the court decided, you know, that wasn't um, a distinct subject. But So does this mean under Nebraska law, a ballot initiative that's put forward will be rejected if it touches more than one subject area of policy? What does that single subject rule mean? So there's a bunch of different quotes we can look into in case law. And as an attorney, this is where we get paid the big bucks, right? But for the layperson, the thing that I found to break this down in the simplest way possible is our case law only supports that ballot initiatives shall contain only one subject. And all the provisions inside the ballot initiative must have a natural and necessary connection to that one subject. And the first thing that the court did in this instance for our decision was that they decided what was the one subject uh, we were trying to do. And they said um, the general subject of the constitutional amendment was to create a constitutional right for persons with serious medical conditions to, to, to produce 
and medically use cannabis subject to a recommendation by a licensed physician or nurse practitioner. And then they went on to look at some of the other provisions, primarily the right to grow and sell cannabis. And they decided that not only were we going to create this right for patients to have access to medication, but we're also creating an additional property right for private entities who would then be able to sell, manufacture, and distribute cannabis. And the decision goes on to really, in a very unique way, try and explain how that patients, they might have a right to access cannabis, but there is no natural or necessary connection between them actually being able to access it in any meaningful way. And that was their huge hangup. Um, There was also discussion of, of a concept called log rolling, which log rolling in this context is a, a constitutional initiative will attach a bunch of provisions that really don't have anything to do with the general subject in order to, you know, potentially attract more voters or to quell fears, etc. And in the initiative language itself, there were other provisions that said that this amendment does not mean that employers have to allow their workers to be stoned on the job. This does not mean insurance carriers have to accept this as far as their plans. And um, also inmates and correctional facilities doesn't mean that they automatically now have access to cannabis. So those provisions, if we're going to think of those, we're putting parameters. They weren't necessarily giving any um, new rights to people. It was just simply describing what the boundaries were for this initiative. And in our subject statement, it was very clear for what we wanted to accomplish. This amendment was going to provide the right to use, access, and safely produce cannabis products and materials for serious medical conditions as recommended by a physician or nurse practitioner. Now, unfortunately, the court, when they looked at, well, okay, that that might be well but what does it really mean to have the right to access and produce cannabis? Does that mean that suddenly it's okay for these people to do home grows and home grows is going to be the only acceptable form? Um, And then there was one last element I'll talk about the decision was that they ended up concluding we had way too many subjects and they kind of invented a new standard for evaluating these single subject um, questions for a ballot initiative. They, they asked the question, not asked the question, they said that Nebraska voters were not intelligently, were not going to be intelligently able to decide what they're actually voting for when this got in front of them. So if you want to take a minute to think about that, they didn't think that the average Nebraska voter, when they voted for this, could possibly comprehend that we were then going to have dispensaries and people growing uh, cannabis in the state and able to provide it to people, which to me is not the greatest reasoning because you look in every other state in the United States and what do you have there in their medical programs? You have dispensaries, you have growers, you have reasonable parameters on the rights of people to use it and and in what context and in what places. So it's, there's a bit of a disconnect between the reasoning and and definitely the prior case law on the single subject, they, they did mention that the only time they'd really got delved down deep into the single subject as applied to a constitutional amendment was with Medicaid expansion in Nebraska, which ultimately they said um, 
was okay and they allowed it to go on the ballot. But, you know, I'll, I'll conclude by saying that I completely agree with the dissent and them discussing that this has just opened up a whole can of worms moving in the future for ballot initiatives in Nebraska. If we're going to so strictly look at this natural and necessary connection between provisions and constitutional ballot initiatives and suddenly think that every other provision or sentence is, is a new subject in and of itself, it's going to be really, really hard to ever write anything that's going to pass this new precedent that's been set by the court. And that is a tragedy to Nebraska voters and the right for we the people to be able to stand up for ourselves and to pass things that we want to happen in our state when our lawmakers are unable to do so. Yeah, you're a natural because you segued into what was going to be my next question, which was, can you summarize the dissent? Because Senator Wishart mentioned that two of the seven justices dissented in this case. And you, you alluded to it just now, but I wonder if you could sort of summarize the thrust of the argument or arguments being made in the dissent itself. So the dissent's decision really laid out the case that we put forward to the courts that the Nebraska Secretary of State put forward when he said uh, during the review of the constitutional language that it was okay. And also going all the way back to when we first submitted the language to the Nebraska stat or revisor of statutes. We, we had all these branches of government lining up when we were looking at the exactly what the single subject entails. And the dissent eloquently stated that the singleness of purpose in relationship of the details to the general subject is what is important in the single subject rule, not necessarily just the strictness, narrow, um, clear cut. How, how does people being able to grow and sell cannabis relate back to um, them having access to it or the right to access to it. So, you know, it's even hard to really talk about this out loud because if you talk to an average Nebraskan voter and you try and discuss this uh, single subject rule with them and how is, how can this not be related to something that is so fundamental to being able to, adequately access um, a medication. Can you imagine uh, something passing in Nebraska constitution saying you have, you have the right to, to seek any sort of um, drug that might heal your ailment, but that's not to say that anybody in the state can actually go out and produce it and make sure that you're able to go out and access it. Not necessarily a, a, a a dissimilar comparison, but that, that's essentially what it is. Um, and the dissent also brought up something that I found really interesting that the majority decision put in there and was that we were creating a new kind of property right, a property right for people and private entities to be able to grow and sell cannabis. The dissent paused on that and said, there, there is no property right being created here. This is merely just setting up what needs to happen in order for us to accommodate the general uh, single subject of what the petition was all about. And again, the first thing that the majority decision does is correctly identify what the single and general subject is, and that is the constitutional right for persons with serious medical conditions 
to produce and medically use cannabis subject to recommendation. And that was it. And unfortunately, anything that came after that, they just kind of put their blinders on and said, well, you know, you might have this right to, you know, access medication, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to ever buy it anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the one last thing I, I will comment on the, this analysis that they were going through, uh, the whole thing was turning on the single subject. There's something called substantive arguments and considerations, and that's everything from, okay, well, if we allow this, what about diversion? How are we going to protect people from uh, selling it who aren't supposed to get it? How are we going to protect children? Or is this even a good idea? Or what are the real medical benefits? None of that stuff was supposed to come into play at all, because that was not what the court was tasked to do under what the lawsuit was triggering under our Nebraska constitution. So there was some discussion in the majority of decision talking a little bit about um, the, the element of diversion, especially if there was private entities who were going to be able to produce and sell cannabis. But that was a completely substantive area of law that they were not supposed to even really take a look at. It was really just down to the single subject. And unfortunately, now we have took the single subject rule and made it so strict and so high of a bar to really try and overcome that it's going to really put a, a, a dampening effect on the people's right to petition their government for changes that they want to see. And that is a tragedy for sure. And it's going to only encourage ballot initiatives that are a lot broader, a lot more um, potentially not as restrictive as people might want to see. But if that's the direction it has to go, well, the next time we're <laughs> around trying to do this process, there just might be a one sentence constitutional change. And that one sentence is going to scare a lot of people. And it's you know, it's, it's no fault of our own. We've, we've tried to do this year after year, going to the legislature, looking at all the other states, trying to find out what's going to be the magic bullet, putting in all these restrictions, all these qualifying conditions, all these other things that other states have put in their systems. And we keep getting the door shut in our face. Then we came back with a ballot petition that was, quite frankly, one of the best provisions probably going to be in the United States to affording patients uh, protections while at the same time not completely opening up this uh, Pandora's box of of what might happen Um, but now all that doesn't really matter anymore because we (laughs) we need to put forward something that's going to not confuse Nebraska voters in any conceivable way and if there's anything more than one provision it's going to be a huge risk of rejection by the Supreme Court. What you're saying about the potential implications of the dissent are not lost on me. So I want to let you know that I hear you when you're saying potentially the ballot initiative process in Nebraska is potentially compromised in this way in perpetuity into the future because of this one ruling and the very strict interpretation of the single subject rule that it seems to be endorsing. But in addition to that, you mentioned that the court's decision seemed to veer into areas of policy and areas of society that are not questions that were raised by the lawsuit. And 
it seems that that's obviously true. But the other thing that's quite interesting about that dynamic is that the questions they're asking are knowable, have knowable answers, because there are dozens of other states and countries outside of the United States that have functioning medical cannabis programs that have answers to all the questions they were asking. But before we continue, let's take one more quick break so that I can tell you how you can support the show. This episode of Prohibited is brought to you by listeners like you. This program is an all-volunteer project, and our team of volunteers donate their time, energy, and money to make this show possible. From equipment, to building and maintaining the website, to curating content, we rely on listeners like you to keep the lights on. For as little as $1 per month, you can support our work directly. All you have to do is visit patreon.com slash prohibited. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash prohibited. Once again, visit our website at prohibitedpodcast.com and click on the support us tab. Thanks for the support. We can't do it without you. John, I'm not going to let you go until we delve a little bit into the following question, which is, it has something to do with what Senator Wishart brought up. You know, I asked her what she thinks the path forward is. And she mentioned that she fully intends to introduce legislation in the 2021 session. She's introduced legislation every year that she's been in the Nebraska State Senate. She also mentioned, hey, if we're not successful, it seems conceivable that there'll be another attempt at a ballot initiative campaign in 2022 and that advocates and supporters of medical cannabis in the state plan to push forward despite this you know, near-term setback. But we talked a little bit about the implications of the dissent and sort of, you know, why you disagree with some of the things the dissent, or maybe all the things the dissent, or excuse me, not the dissent, that you disagree with the decision the Supreme Court put down and and the reasons why you agree with the dissent. In light of what you were saying in the last segment in terms of the potential implications of this very narrow interpretation of the single subject rule. You mentioned, hey, maybe future ballot initiatives in Nebraska, whether they be on the subject of medical cannabis or anything else, will be much broader and have and be shorter, have much less text because they don't want to run the risk of running afoul of the precedent that was just set by the Nebraska State Supreme Court. So in light of that, in light of the knowledge of knowing that a potential 2022 ballot initiative might have one or two sentences... What do you think those one or two sentences are? Do you think it's simply cannabis is legal in the state of Nebraska? And that's the whole thing. It's one sentence. Very easy for voters to understand. And then you let the legislators legislators themselves sort it out after the election. What do you think that looks like in light of this dynamic that we were just discussing? Well, Scott, we're going to be embarking on a new drafting process to really decide on the next iteration of, of what we want to accomplish. And we're not going to go down the route of recreational. We're still going to keep at it through the medicinal side. But I think what you just said, that that single sentence, it, it's going to have to be something very similar to that. Nebraskans or persons residing in Nebraska or just persons have the right to medical cannabis, period. And that's going to have to be it. And if we want to run additional provisions, such as the ones that we had in our initiative, we're going to have to have a completely separate ballot initiative running alongside it, collecting the same amount of signatures. 
And I'll tell you what, that's not out of the question. That could totally happen. That's what happened with the casino gambling petitions this year. I think they're circulating about three of them at the same time, and all of them are going to show up now on the general ballot. So it's going to have to be something as simple as that. And I'm looking forward to continuing this journey. We brought you brought up the first time Nebraska decriminalized cannabis was one of the first states to do it in the seventies. We had people working in this campaign who were working on that campaign. One guy comes to mind, Jerry Muller. He was a veteran and like the talks I had with him about what they did to come together and make a change back then. They just rung so true for what we're doing this day and age. And now that we have this... Wait, so what you're telling me is that when I contacted you to be on the show, you should have just con- connected me with this guy. He would be another great person. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you should uh, definitely talk to him at some point. Well, we'll, we'll bring all three of you back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that there are going to be future conversations to have about Nebraska's cannabis policy moving forward. John, I know you've listened to the show before, so you know that I close every interview with the same question. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk to our audience about today? What's next for the campaign? What's going to happen next for the movement? Where are we headed and how are we going to overcome this seemingly great defeat? And the answer to that questions or questions is we're not giving up. We have so much at stake. We have too much riding on the line now that for us to just simply accept this defeat and to walk away and to say that we're never going to get anything in Nebraska for medical cannabis is something we're not willing to do. We had a couple days of grieving and there was definitely some crying from, I mean, from myself, just thinking about all the parents, all the patients, all the volunteers, they're working day after day in the hot sun for hours, collecting thousands of signatures for no money, just for the hope that they can have a better life for their families and their friends and their communities. That, that stuff is, you can't stop something like that. And although we have this decision in front of us, what we have left remaining is the infrastructure, is the people, is the passion, is the technical know-how. And with all that in place, the second time we're going to approach this ballot initiative process, we're going to be so much stronger. We're going to be way more efficient. We're going to be a lot scarier to the opposition than they could have ever have dreamed. And just thinking that through gives me a lot of hope and it gives me a lot of comfort. And I know there's a lot of people really upset right now. And just the thing I want to tell them is we cannot lose hope and we're going to keep working until this thing is done. John Cartier is an attorney and drug policy reform activist in Nebraska. And earlier, we were joined by Senator Anna Wishart, representing Nebraska's 27th Legislative District. John, thank you so much for joining me on Prohibited. Hopefully when we have you back, it'll be under the scepter of better news. Thanks for listening to this episode of Prohibited, a podcast about prohibition. Our editor is Chris Harris. Our music is by KCAP. Our webmaster is Ricardo Amaya. And I'm your host, Scott Cecil. If you enjoyed this show, please check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com prohibited and share it with your friends and family. This podcast is a production of Prohibited Media. 
You can find a full archive of our episodes at our website at prohibitedpodcast.com. And if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, be sure to leave a rating and a review. It helps new listeners find us. If you have ideas or feedback for the show, feel free to send us an email at prohibitedpodcast at gmail.com. And remember, no matter how prohibition impacts your life and the lives of those around you, you're still free to think for yourself. And we hope we've given you something to think about today. We hope you enjoyed the show and see you next time.